We have a nephew, one of our, one of our nephews uh, served in the Marines. I thought I'd get a hoorah, yeah. Um, he got married while he was on active duty, so he wore his dress uniform for that. He's the one not in the dress. Um, <laughs> you know, and several of his friends, you know, who also are in the Marines, uh, were in the wedding as well. So there were a number of them that, you know, had on these dress uniforms. Um, it was pretty impressive. It wasn't the uniform they wore all the time because the uh, night before at uh, when they did the rehearsal and all, they had on uh, different uniforms uh, when, in, you know, when they were there. They're, I don't know, more casual ones, I guess. Um, we have another nephew who will be retiring, I think, uh, next year, maybe later this year, after serving 20 years in the Army. And um, he one of his promotions came while he was on one of his five or six tours. I forget how many he's done, actually, over in the Mideast. And when he was there, Chuck Yeager was there. Now, some of you know who Chuck Yeager is. He was um, a test pilot, and uh, he was in the Mideast there, and this is my nephew, and uh, Chuck Yeager uh, was there. They had to do this in the barracks, you know, because, well... They shoot at you otherwise, and uh, or not the barracks, you know, in a building. Uh, and so Chuck Yeager actually was in, involved in the ceremony of of giving him whatever level this was of of rank that he was promoted to at this time. And he, you know, you can see in this picture here, he does not have on his um, fancy uniform, his dress uniform. He has on uh, a combat uniform because kind of went from here out to he flies helicopters and so he had to go out and uh, you know do some of his missions after that Um, one of my great nephews which is also my nephew's nephew uh, also joined the army and when he graduated uh, my there's my that's my nephew and my great nephew that's the the guy with the sunglasses is the same guy that you just saw in the other picture Um, and this is their you know their dress uniform that they had uh, when when they were out there um, and uh, we, I have another great nephew who is uh, in the Coast Guard, and when he graduated from basic training, um, he too has on his um, his dress uniform there. Uh, we have another nephew who retired from the Air Force, and I don't have a picture of him, uh, but you know he they they have yet a different uniform, and he retired from the Air Force after his 20-some years in there. And now he works for ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, and he has yet a different uniform. And we have still another uh, great nephew who is in the Navy. And uh, he is still in the, you know, in basic training. And so we, I, I don't have any pictures of him yet because you know, you're not worthy of a picture until you until you graduate from this stuff. Uh, you know, and then and then uh, you know they do it. Now, when someone enters any branch of the service, and those of you who have been in the military uh, know this quite well, when you answer when you enter any branch of the service, they hand you a uniform and they tell you to put this on. Um, you know, because this is, this is what you're, you know, this is what you're gonna wear. Now, while the uniforms differ, you know, slightly, the uniform, it's really, it, the uniform is the most visible sign of somebody being in the military, any branch of the military. 
that uniform that you see them wearing is that most visible sign, you know, that they are in the service. Now, something else I noticed while all of these family members, it's interesting, these are all on my, these are, that's my brother's son, and uh, that would be my brother's Uh, grandsons as well. Uh, My brother never got to see them. Any of them. Uh, You know, but one of the things also that I noticed uh, for all of them when they're in the service uh, the one, the first nephew is actually my uh, sister's son. But with all of them, when they were in the service, when they were actively in the service, um, they also were more polite. You know, my family is a lot like me, unfortunately, in some regards, and a little bit more direct, um, and uh, and you know. Um, I was going to say jovial. Maybe that's not the word. Uh, but, you know, just, uh, they were, they were more polite. You know, there was yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you know, and things like that. They just conducted themselves with a bit more dignity, a bit more decorum. Uh, anybody in the service does that. And they stand out from the norm. I mean, you've noticed that if you've seen anyone, you know, in the military and, or have been in there a long time. They stand out from the norm, even in the way they behave. Um, now, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't have a material uniform that we put on. Unless you're in the Salvation Army, they do. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you don't have that material uniform to put on. But there are some qualities of character. There are some qualities, you know, of conduct even that we're told to put on. Those things which should make us stand out from the norm. You know, those, those things. Uh, last week, we looked at some of what we're told to put off to put away, to put to death, if you remember it said to put to death, you know, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. That's what we're going to look at this week is see some of what we're to put on, some of that new self where he says put on the new self. Uh, That's some of what we're going to look at. Let's pray and we're going to get into our verses for today. Father, thank you for your word that gives us guidance and direction. uh, Gives us, uh, in in this regard, these verses uh, gives us real clarity of what it is that you have called us to. What it is you've invited us to. What it is you empower us to do and to be. Uh, I pray that you would help this resonate with our lives. With our living. Because to have it just in our head is, well... It's not worth much if it doesn't transform us. So I pray that you would use your word, and uh, I thank you for the time that you've given me to study and to look at it, and I pray that as I, as I share what you've unfolded before me, that it might help people understand you and your heart, your love and your power, and our place in all of that a little bit more. Uh, so do your transforming work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to continue in Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses, well, it says verses 12 to 17. We're actually only going to go 12 through 14, because while I was working on this, I, I got to, uh, you know, I, I, 
I write out a, a kind of an outline, and when I get to a certain page number, I know that about how long this message is going to be. And I got to this page number, and I wasn't even done with point number one yet, so I figured that's all we're doing. Um, so you're getting point number one of a two-point sermon. There's only two points. Uh, point number one of a two-point sermon today, if you look at your outline, you can see that a little bit. Uh, last week, we moved rather quickly over the list of habits and practices that I just read to you, those those uh, attitudes and practices that were to put off, that you know, were not to have a part of us. Uh, you know, don't make, let me encourage you again, we mentioned it last week, don't make excuses for yourself in those things. Don't, side, don't try to sidestep it. Don't think that it's not that bad. When God says you should put this off from you, you should put this off from you. You should work to put it to death. It's not always an easy thing. You know, you need to get it out of your life, though. He's, he was pretty clear about that. So don't make excuses about it. This week, we're going to spend time looking at what God tells us to put on. Now, what is most obvious about you this morning is what you put on. Your clothes. I mean, we look at you and, and you know, uh, some of you didn't spend much time, I see. But, the you know, just a thought, nothing, nothing personal, you know, it comes from the guy who I, you know, I told you before, I, I wore this, you, you know, I wore this because it was next in line. Uh, I just line up my coats in, in there and I take it from the front of it. And then when I get home today, I'll hang it up in the back of the line and then I'll just put on the front. I don't have to spend a lot of time thinking. And a lot of you say, yeah, you sure didn't. Uh, you know, um, but what you put on is what's most obvious about you today. I mean, it, it really is, you know, and quick glance, you know, and light blues, kind of the color over here today. And, you know, and well, anyhow, you guys should have spent a little more time. Uh, yeah, but, but that's what's most obvious there. So when you think about this and he says to put on, so what God tells us to put on should be those things that are obvious in our living when he says put on, this is what he's talking about. Make these things obvious in your living. Put off the other stuff from you. That's what we looked at last week. You put off those things from you, which were obvious in your living. And he said, now you put on, this is what you put on. You see, this is, this is what needs to be there. It's not, not a facade, but it's something that would be obvious in your living, not just your thinking. But he says, he, what he's saying to us is make these obvious in your living. Let them come out. You put those on. Uh, it's a continuing action, a growing thing. If you have your Bible open there, just back up real quick to verse 10, you know, because he tells us this is a continuing, growing, maturing process. In verse 10 there, notice what he says. Put on a new self. You are being renewed. You are being renewed. This is something that is going on, that is continuing. You have this relationship with Christ and you have a new standing in Christ, but that, that living it out, that, you know, that, that, that setting aside, that putting off these old habits that are really, they're destroying you. They're going to destroy you if you don't put them off. And he says, you know, you need to get those away from you. And as you get those away from you, he says, and you're putting these on, you're being renewed. That, that, that process of being, getting, getting, aren't you glad you can get better? Aren't you glad this just isn't it? You know, he said, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. That image of your creator, there's the goal. You know, that image of your creator. 
So if you think you've made it, well, now you just realize you didn't. Because you don't yet have that, that image of the Creator. There is, there is something more we can do to look and reflect, reflect God more in our life and in our living. You may have some of it right, and I sure hope you have some of it right. You know, I mean, we, we do. Some of it's, some of it's easier. You know, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to notice, and some of it's easier to do, but some of it's difficult. You know, some of it's difficult. I'm going to share with you, you know, as we go through this, you know, some of the, some of the difficulties, you know, that, 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 you know, that have been there for, for me anyway. But, you know, God, God didn't leave it for us to guess what it is we're to put on. You put these off and you put these on and he didn't leave it to, for, to guess, you know, what areas of his image were to put on, what areas of his image are to be more visible. He didn't, you know, it's not just a guess there. Notice what he says, these verses, starting with verse 12, you know, they flow right from that direction of what we're to put on. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on, there it is, put on, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Now, I'm going to go on and read the rest of these because it's a list that all goes together. Verse 15, And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, these verses seem to have, really, it's kind of two short lists, or it's one long list in two parts as I look at it. And I feel they kind of fall into two areas, character and conduct. Now, they overlap each other, <coughs> excuse me, and they affect each other. That's how we're going to look at them. But today, we're going to look at character. Those verses, that first part of it, I think, deals more with character, that that inner being, that inner quality of being. being. Next week, we're going to look, go on with the rest of it and look at conduct. Uh, now, these first three here, these first three verses, uh, 12, 13, and 14, to me, they kind of seem to, to, to uh, center on character. What we, what we need to remember is that character directs our conduct. You see, our character directs our, our, our conduct. It's what's on that, it's what's on the, on the inside, that character that's going to come out. Your character directs your conduct, directs your choices you make, directs the things you're involved in, the things you're not involved in, the things that you that you, that, that you uh, embrace, and the things that you avoid a little bit. Now, what I want you to realize before we even get into the character qualities of these verses, there's a few things that I want you to realize. Notice what it says. All of those who have a relationship with Jesus, he says, he starts out there. You know, therefore, flowing right from what he said, and then look what he says. God's chosen ones. All of those who have a relationship with Jesus are God's chosen ones. Now here, it doesn't matter what your theology on salvation and calling and election are. You know, we can butt heads about that and, uh, you know, and get, get ourselves all worked up in a tizzy about it. But, you know, the verse, the verse clearly tells us that those who have a relationship with Jesus are chosen ones. 
I don't know about you, but it's nice to be chosen, particularly by God. I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids, and I loved it. It was great. It was a great place to grow up. It was a, a great place to live. I thoroughly enjoyed my childhood, uh, you know, and um, we had this big empty field that was only about four or five houses down. It originally, I grew up, growing up in the south side of, of Chicago, um, there's a lot of trains, <laughs> You know, it's like it's worse than living in New Haven. There's just a lot. Of, there's just a lot of trains, uh, and there was a there's a huge switchyard that we. I grew up in the town of Dalton, and it stretched not only through Dalton, it also stretched into Riverdale, the town right next to us on one side, and it stretched into South Holland, the town on the other side. This is how big this switchyard was. And so with that big switchyard, the railroad originally had carved out all of this property. And from that switchyard, there was this large swath of property that, you know, that uh, went from there over into, really over into Indiana. Well, then as the years went by and the railroad decided they weren't going to, you know, build on that, uh, they started to sell part of that off. Well, they donated this one swath there to the park district because it was right next to the park. So the park district had this, and they maintained it. They used to mow it. Well, it was right in our neighborhood. I mean, there were houses on both sides of this. You know, there were houses across the street, which used to be part of the railroad property. And, and so the houses were right there, and it was literally like five. There were five houses, you know, from my house, just five houses, and then here's this huge field across the street. Well, we used to go over there, and we used to play baseball and uh, football in there. And when we you go and you play baseball and football, you picked up sides. Well, you know, the, the guys, you know, you, however you did it, you know, in baseball you did, you know, you did the, the you know, hand on it. You toss the bat to the other guy, he catches it, and you do the hands up there until you get to the top. And then, you know, you do this bottle cap, and if you kick it. Anyway, so you, that's how you do these different things to decide who gets first pick. I guess for, I, I choose you. Well, you see, it depended on what sport you were doing because baseball and football are very different things. And some of the guys were big. And you wanted, in football, you wanted them because... It's nice to have big guys when you're playing football because you need somebody to stand behind if you're not a big guy, you see. And in baseball, now the big guys may or may not do well, you know. Perhaps they can hit the ball a ton, maybe they can't, but uh, sometimes they just can't run fast. You know, so depending on what sports you played, you know, you, you, you wanted, you, you always want, you wanted to be on the winning team. That's what it was. You wanted to get picked so you're on the winning team. In school, when you were in school, and, you know, the, it, it took you about one time through this to figure out what was going on when the gym teacher would walk in. In the good old days, we had gym every day. You know, and, uh, you know, we'd walk in and, you know, gym teacher would line up. He'd say, count off by twos. Gee, I wonder what we're doing. We're picking sides. Well, I need to move over. Otherwise, I'm going to be on the losing team, you see. And we, so all, uh, while they're going one and two down there, the other end of the line is going, you know, trying to, trying to rearrange themselves. So, why? Because they want to be on the winning team. You know, they wanted, they wanted to win. You know, and, and so what you have here, you know, before you even look at the qualities, before we even begin to look at these, these qualities and the verses, what you need to realize is you are chosen by God. He won. You are on the winning team. 
It's not something that's in the future. He said, you are, you are chosen. You're chosen by God and he won. You're on the winning team. He will help you to do whatever, whatever he asks you to do. He will help you to grow, like to, to be like himself. You are one of God's chosen ones. This is what he said here. Now notice what else it says. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're not only chosen, you are also holy. Holy. Now we're not holy, you know, because of who we are. We're holy because of God. We're holy because of what Christ has done on the cross to make us holy. Not because you feel holy, because you probably don't feel holy. You know, and it's not because you live so well, again, because you probably don't. We are holy because God makes us holy. God declares us holy in Christ as his chosen one. Now, holy also means that you're set apart for God's use. You're set apart, you know, for his use, for serving him. You're set apart to live for him. It's an exclusive relationship. Now, when you go to a wedding, and, you know, we've all been to lots of different weddings, and when you go to a wedding, you know, you you go there, and there's a, a man and a woman that are standing before you, and they are really not talking to you at all. They are talking to each other. And they are making a promise and a covenant to each other there. You know, and they may be led by, you know, by the, by the, the pastor there. I, I've led, you know, I've led, I forget, I don't know how many weddings, but uh, some of you, I, you know, I've led you in your weddings and, and, you know, just those, and all I did was I said, you know, you repeat after me, but you're talking to them. And when I do a wedding, I always tell them, you know, we're at the rehearsal and we're going through it. And, uh, you know, and I say, okay, repeat after me. And then I say, you know, you know, I, George, take you, Vivian. And then they look at me. I, I say, you're not talking to me. You're talking to her. You know, so you turn and you look at her. Because you guys are talking to each other here. It's a promise made to each other. It's a, it's a covenant and a promise made to each other. A commitment made to each other. That's to be an exclusive commitment. So, you know, at a wedding, it would be very strange. It would be very odd if the groom left with the maid of honor. We would say, that's not right, that's wrong. You're right, it's wrong. It's an exclusive commitment. That's what they're making there to each other, is this exclusive commitment you know, of, of themselves to one another. You are holy. You are set apart to live for God exclusively. This is not a shared relationship. This is, a, this is a, an exclusive relationship between you and God. Don't give yourself to another. You are a chosen one. You are holy. And he goes on, he says, you are loved. The NIV says you are dearly loved. We need to be loved. God made us to need to be loved. We need to be loved by someone somewhere. We need to know that we matter. Know that you matter to God because he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die for you so that you could be with God and so that you could experience his love. Not just something in the future, but so that you can experience his love now. 
what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. God nailed your certificate of debt to the cross, you know, with his son Jesus hanging on there to show that the crime he was dying for, what he was dying for is you. You are loved. Write that one down. You are loved. And loved by God. You're chosen. You're holy. You're loved. Do you know those were words that were used to describe the Jews as God's special people? You read through the Old Testament and you see that over and over again. The words used to describe the Jews' special relationship with God. That they had a relationship with God that was different than all of the other people around. They had that position there and, and, you know, as God's holy, as God's chosen, as God's loved people. And now they're applied here to the Gentiles. They are applied to all of those who, who come to know Christ as their Savior, who come into a relationship with Jesus. You know, that you are chosen, you are holy, and you are loved. That's where we start. That's where we start. From that position, we are told, as God's chosen, holy, and loved people, we are told then to put on, to clothe ourselves. Literally, the word means to sink into. I love that picture. To sink into. You ever sit in a chair, lay down in a bed, and it's just like, oh, dude, this is good. We were shopping at Ikea one time, one of the 27,000 times we've shopped at Ikea. We were with, we were, we were with a, a, a group. The group happened to be our family, but, you know, they're a group. And uh, Mandy was there. Some of her friends were there. And uh, it was some of her friends from, from college. And, and so, you know, it was scattered here and there, you know, as you're walking through the place. So we're in the one part, and I got tired, and I looked over, and there's this chair. So I sat down in this chair. Some of you guys know the chair because it's in my living room. I think it's called a poing chair or something. They don't have anything with a normal name. It's try to say something normal and, and have a spasm in the middle of it, and that's an Ikea name. Um, so it's this poing chair, and, and they had this footstool, and so I just lay in there, and I put my foot in there, and, oh, dude, this is a comfortable chair. And Jenny walks up, and she says, come on, let's go sit down. I said, she says, well, I said, just sit down. There's another poing chair next to me. She sat down. Oh, she said, this is nice. I have two poing chairs in my house now. One's mine, one's Ginny's. Uh, you know, it's just, it was so stinking comfortable. This is what, this is, this is what, when he says, when he says here, you know, that, that, that you are, that you, you put these on, you sink into it. You're absorbed by it. You get these, you get these in your life so that they are, so that you are so comfortable. Living this way of what God says. You put these on. You have these traits obvious in your life. Notice the first one he says is heartfelt compassion. It's worded slightly different in each of the, each translation, but they're just slightly different. They're all with the same thrust. You know, heartfelt compassion. 
Not a false appearance of compassion. That's not what he's talking about. It's sincere. It's from the heart. It's something from the heart which is touched by one another, by another's challenge and the things that they go through. It's truly feeling with and for someone. This was not my strong suit before. When I came to Christ, you know, even before I came to Christ, and after I came to Christ, this didn't change at first. I told you before, if something happened to you, I, I just knew it was because you were an idiot. You know, you're an idiot and you chose poorly. And, you know, that's why it happened to you. Tough luck, suck it up, buttercup, and go on with life. And God began to change that in me. Sometimes, unfortunately, I still have that attitude. It's something, though, that I, I'm trying not to be. Um, sometimes we, we don't feel this heartfelt compassion because we won't allow ourselves to. It's not because we can't. It's because we won't allow ourselves to. We won't let that in. Be, it, that was me. Sorry. Ryan goes, no, I've just bought that thing. Anyway, um, the, uh, oh yeah, I don't remember. I was going to say, because we don't allow ourselves, you know, we just don't feel compassion because we don't allow ourselves to. Now I remember. Uh, There's so much junk that goes on in this world. We have to learn to shut some of it out. You watch the news lately? I can't absorb all of that. It's devastating. I don't even have to go to to the school shootings in Florida to be devastated. All I have to do is read of what went on to people in Fort Wayne this week. You see, and so we, we become, we, we get to the place where we have to shut some of this stuff out. We have to have a little bit of a hard shell somewhere or we're just not going to make it. The problem is, you see, when we let that, when, when, when we begin to do that everywhere, and I can no longer hurt with you because you hurt and I, and I and I you know and I begin to insulate myself from your pains which I need to be feeling. When he says to carry one another's burdens, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about hurting with someone, carrying someone, coming alongside, helping them. When he says that you weep with those who weep and you you mourn with those who mourn, what you you you're doing this is that that picture of heartfelt compassion. But we keep feelings at a distance here. Now, you don't have to turn into a blubbering buffoon, you know, but you do have to quit operating on the assumption that they deserve what they got because they made poor choices. You know, sometimes it is, and sometimes, they, you know, in, in our valuation, they do deserve what they got. They have made dumb choices. But, you know, all of this ties into our relationship with Christ, as you see here, you know, with these verses. Now, Jesus did not treat us as our foolishness deserves. Did you ever think of that? He does not treat us as our foolishness deserves. 
And he calls us to extend that to others as well. Heartfelt compassion. The next one, very close to that, another character trait that needs to be obvious, he said, is kindness. Kindness. Now, a good rule of thumb here on kindness is, you know, for you to to simply treat others as you wish to be treated. You know, simply treat others as you wish to be treated, and and that's become almost passe for us. Now, if you're an especially, you know, if you're an especially rude or aggressive person or some kind of, you know, masochistic tendencies, whatever it is, then treat people as you would want them to treat someone you love. When I get frustrated with people who clearly bribed someone to get their driver's license, I take a moment and I say to myself, and sometimes I even say it out loud, how would I want someone to respond to Ginny if she just did what they did? How would I want them to respond to one of my kids if they just did what this person did. And when I take a moment to say that and think that, it transforms my response. We all, we all do things that deserve by a human valuation. Someone else's anger, derision, What he calls us to, though, here is kindness. And he says kindness should be a very obvious character trait of God's people. And it's too often lacking. It should make us stand out from the crowd, if you will. He goes on, he says, humility. It's the next character trait that's mentioned here. Uh, Now, Someone who is humble, it's not that you put yourself down. You're giving preference to the other person. Putting yourself down is false humility. That's not what he's calling us to. God made you. God gifted you. He wants you to take joy in that, in the way he has made you and in the way he has gifted you. One of the places he speaks about about gifting is uh, Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, He says this when he's talking about spiritual gifts. He says, for by the grace given to me. (coughs) Do you see that? He is a recipient of grace. But he says, I tell everyone not to think of yourselves more highly than you should. Well, then I should put myself down. No, no, he says. Instead, think sensibly. As God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. God has given you A measure of faith. God has given you gifts. God has given you grace. And think in line with those. But also realize, you know, when when you're talking about humility, humility thinks of the other person first, not of himself. And it's really kind of what humility is. It's not even thinking of yourself. It's thinking of that other person. And how, you know, how they do that. How you can make life better for them. My mom was good at this. I mean, she really was. Um, you know, maybe your mom was too. But you know, they, uh, uh, you know, raising us five kids by herself, and um, she was just busy all the time. You know, I mean, that's that's all it was. I told you before. You know, we were too stupid and young to realize we should have got up and helped. You know, she'd work. She had. She was a stay-at-home mom. You know, until until my dad decided that he didn't want to be a part of the family and. Um, you know, and then 
she tried staying home and doing some work. I said, well, she had to go to work, so she'd work all day. She didn't drive, so she had to take buses and stuff. And she'd be, you know, an eight-hour day became a 10- and 12-hour day and stuff. And she'd come home, and you know what she'd do when she got home? Uh, she'd clean the house. She'd do the laundry. She'd cook supper. I remember one of the very first things my mom would do in the summertime when she came home, and we'd have the windows open. One of the very first, she didn't even take off her coat she would go over to the sink and she would fill up a, a, a bucket with uh, soapy what less toil. We used less toil a lot. I still love the smell of that stuff. But anyway, um, she'd go and she'd fill up this bucket with, with um, you know, water and less toil. And she would go around and she would wash each windowsill. Because you see, when you open the windows, especially in the spring, and that dust and stuff blows in, and it gets on, and then if the curtains blow in and out, and then they they get to see some of you are nodding your heads because you wash the windowsills too, yeah, and and it would get that dirty. Well, she didn't want that to happen, so you see, she would go and she didn't even take her coat off yet. She's already she walks in the house and she immediately starts cleaning, you know, and and. She never said, hey, lazy, get off your, you know, get off your keister there and, and start cleaning, start helping, you know. Um, she just, she, she just put us all first all the time. And it wasn't just us. She do, she put other people. Here's the picture of, you know, of humility. It's, it's putting the other people, the other person first. It goes on. It says gentleness. Some of the translations say meekness. Well, this certainly rules out being harsh and gruff. You know, when you think gentleness and, and meekness, it, it refers to a mild disposition on the inside. That's where it starts, on the inside. It's a, it's a transformation of our disposition on the inside. It's power under control. Now, it's not being a milk toast kind of person, you know. I just think Jesus is described as meek, and if you think Jesus was weak, then you got a different Jesus in mind than what the Bible shows. No, but Jesus is described as meek. It's power under control. That's the picture there. He goes on. He says, "Patience." Uh, literally, the word means long-tempered. Long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. Uh, in, in fact, the King James translation says long-suffering. I like that phrase. It's a much more descriptive, it's a much more descriptive translation. Long-suffering. Patience means you're being pushed. You get it? If you're not being pushed, there's no need for patience. Because well, it just doesn't bother me. Then <laughs> you don't need patience. It's when something bothers you. It's when there's, when there's, when there's somebody in your face. You know, it's that being pushed, he says. And what, what, what needs to come out, he says, is, is patience. Flows into the next one. He says, accepting one another. So I want to translation say, bearing with one another. Uh, it, the word means to hold up. You know, to, to hold up, to hold back, you know. Who am I not accepting? Who am I not accepting, you know? And, and, and who am I? Not to accept another person. I don't have that right or that authority. You know, who is it that I need to hold up? Who do I need to hold up in my thinking, in my attitude? You know, I may not, and I should not accept, you know, accept everything that they do. It's not saying here to accept everything they do. What it's talking about is how we look at other people. Because I may not like what they do, and really because what they do is sinful, that doesn't make them any less worthy of a relationship with Jesus than me. Because I too am a sinner saved by grace. 
So Billy Graham passed away this week. It was a bummer, bummer for us, good thing for him. But, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it was, you know, it came in, a, it's just, it was quite the week, you know, and then, and then Billy Graham dies and stuff. And one of the things I heard over and over again in these tributes to him is, he said, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. Here's, here's you know, th- th- this picture of what, of what he's talking about, about accepting one another. Not seeing yourself as better than someone else. You know, I, I, I am no more worthy of a relationship with Jesus than anybody else walking here. And this is the picture he has for us. You don't look at them as if they're less worthy or they're less of a person. They are still someone in need of Christ. Now here's something we need to draw our attention to as well. The one another here, he's, he's, it shows here that he's speaking of a relationship among those with a commitment to Christ. That this is how we unfortunately sometimes look at each other, he says, and you shouldn't. Now the next one really needs our really needs our attention. He says, "Forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive." You know, not forgiving someone has ruined has ruined countless relationships. Just simply not forgiving, probably ruined more relationships than anything else. You know, we feel slighted. Maybe we were grievously wounded, but if we don't forgive. If we don't forgive, it doesn't matter if the other person repents in sackcloth and ashes. It really doesn't. Because if, if we don't forgive, the relationship remains broken. If we don't forgive, the relationship will never be healed. Well, you know, but, then, but the, the, he, we, we don't have... Scripture says, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. This is what he says in Romans. As much as depends on you... Be at peace with all men. So you do everything you can to make sure that there's peace in that relationship. Because if we don't forgive, if we don't forgive, it doesn't matter what the other person does. The relationship remains broken because we haven't forgiven. And if we are truly withholding our forgiveness for any reason, then what we're showing is that we really don't understand forgiveness. We don't understand forgiveness. you know, Or we're unwilling to obey God and forgive as he commands us to. Because forgiveness isn't about the other person. Forgiveness is about me. And notice what he says here. We forgive in the same manner that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, he said. Totally. Completely. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we understood his suffering, he died for us. Without us understanding what it cost him, he forgave us. He was despised. He was rejected by men. He was rejected by those he came to save. And before we even understood that, he forgave us. He was forsaken by the Father, even though he never committed a sin. He was forsaken by the Father, and He forgave us. And He said, that is how we are to forgive one another. Now, it's not enough to endure something without retaliating. That's not forgiveness. Not retaliating is not forgiveness. 
You know, it, it, forgiveness is, is that, that change, that transformation of the heart. Notice what he says there. You know, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, that's a legitimate complaint. If anyone has a legitimate complaint against another, if, if a real offense was done to you, forgive. This is what he says. Forgive. In the same way Jesus forgave, he says, and he had a legitimate complaint against us. A real offense was committed against him by us, and yet he forgave us. It doesn't say ignore it. It doesn't say pretend that it never happened. What it says is forgive. And when you don't forgive, you plant that seed of bitterness, and that seed will grow, and it will choke out any of the life you are meant to have in Jesus Christ. Have you ever met a bitter person? What a horrible way to live. And it's usually tied to this whole area of forgiveness. Forgiveness opens up, it opens us up to the fullness of God's love. Forgive. Verse 14, above all. Something we ought to pay attention to. Above all, he says, all of these other things, here's the one you really need to concentrate on. He says, above all, in verse 14, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Love. This is what he calls us. Love. Make love obvious in your life. Now, again, this is love in line with God's love, not something that's earned, something that is freely given. God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son. He Get, he he took action because of the love, not because of what he was receiving, but because of what he because of who he is, and that's what he was giving a love, you know, a, a love that works toward you know and promotes unity. He says, not judgment, not division. Put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Some advice I received long ago, and I've never I've never forgotten it. And that's you know, if you're going to make an error, err on the side of love. We were in a discussion, and in fact, it was in a church here, was it? Well, while I was your pastor still, and a situation was going on, and we were discussing this, and with some of the, the, the leaders in the church, and I said, you know, we need to be careful what we do here, because we don't want to give the impression that we're approving sin. And, and you don't. You, want, you don't want to give that impression. I said, you know, and so we're going to make a mistake. I said, you know, I want to make, I, I want to make sure that we're not, that we're, you know, I was going to make a mistake on the side of law. I don't want them to think that this is okay. And we have to make sure that we don't communicate that this was okay. You know, I said, you know, so if we're going to make a mistake, let's make a mistake, you know, more, more toward law. And, and, and two of the leaders, and it, well, it, it was uh, Tim Nickham and uh, uh, Steve Peppel. And some of you remember him, and some of you don't have a clue who that is. But anyway, you know, and they, they look and they said, wouldn't you want to make? Wouldn't you want to err on the side of love? To let them know they're loved, you know, loved by God and loved by us. And I've never forgotten that, because you see, my tendency is to err on the side of law. This is what God says. This is what's right. This is how it should be. But I read this verse, and he says, you know, and he, and, and he says, above all, put on love. 
Err on the side of love. It's a love that builds up, a love that reaches out, a love that reaches out to restore a fellow sinner. Isn't that how Jesus did it? Isn't that what we're called to in Galatians? To restore one another gently, it says. Not condemn them as if I had no sin. Remember, this is talking about how we treat one another. You know, others who also have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The goal is restoration and unity in Christ. This is what he says. You know, I love the way the Amplified Bible picks up the thrust of this verse. He says, beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourselves in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best for others. Let love be evident as you seek the best for others. Not your own agenda. Not your own agenda. Character directs your conduct. Be a person whose character is obviously refined by your relationship to Jesus Christ. That it makes a difference who he is in your relationship with him. Put on, live these character traits so that they're obvious in your living. Obvious in your living. You know, you want to obviously live for and in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.